On the record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Welcome back, Gavin Riley, with you on the record this Sunday lunchtime on News Talk. 087 106 is the number for your WhatsApps. Now, you may have heard that Sean O'Casey's Dublin trilogy is currently touring around Ireland. Not just touring around Dublin, that wouldn't make sense. Uh, touring around Ireland. Uh, Druid Theatre are even performing all three plays on the same day, uh, if you're so inclined. Um, it's a fairly bold idea, uh, that idea of touring a trilogy around the country. And it is a fairly novel approach uh, for a writer who was, it's fair to say, shunned by Ireland uh, in his own day. Uh, but did you know that in the 1920s, Sean O'Casey had an unlikely champion in Alfred Hitchcock? Long before the Academy Awards, it was actually Hitchcock who brought a Sean O'Casey play to the big screen. And Donald Fallon is dusting off himself <laughs> after going down to the depths of the IFI <laughs> to try and find evidence of all of this. Uh, Donald, good to see you as ever. Good to be here. This O'Casey trilogy has been on the road for a few weeks. Uh, and it's taken a while before it's finally made its way to the Abbey. Yeah, I love Sean O'Casey. I don't know if I could do three plays in one day, but fair play to them. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a it's a great idea, and and, and Gary Hines, um, what a legend of Irish theatre, and mm. Druid, yeah, they've been touring O'Casey's Dublin trilogy around the country. It's been in Galway, uh, it's been in Belfast, and now it has arrived in in the Abbey Theatre. Uh, and look, they're great. Shadow of a Gunman, June on the Paycock, The Plough and the Stars, all yeah. on the one day. Like, if you had a day to take it in, like, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like a really fascinating way to spend it, but yeah, whether you've got the stamina for all three of them. Oh, yeah. You'd, you'd come out talking like an O'Casey character, wouldn't you? But look, Sean O'Casey was a very curious figure in his day. He was adored and he was shunned in equal measure, made his name on the stage of the Abbey Theatre, uh, then couldn't get work performed there. Left Ireland behind him, or perhaps he would have said Ireland left him behind. Mm. Uh, but in the decades after the release of his Dublin trilogy, as we'll hear today, he was championed by many people, including uh, a young a young Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, from whom we'll hear uh, in a couple of minutes. Uh, in the beginning, and maybe this is part of the romance of the myth of Sean O'Casey, is because at the start, there wasn't Sean O'Casey. There was just John Casey. Yeah, born John Casey, changed his name to Sean O'Cohasig, you know, swept up in the Gaelic revival. Uh, and then he, he, he settled on Sean O'Casey, kind of halfway house, you know, between those two names. Mm. Uh, a labourer with a railway company, kind of lower middle class background. Uh, and... I love how he writes, you know, he writes his autobiography in the third person about this dilemma. So he wrote his autobiography in the third person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he calls himself John and later he calls himself Sean. It's brilliant. But he writes about, you know, trying to pull his fellow workers into the Gaelic League. I just love the way he describes it. What would the suited, white-collared, respectable members of the refined Gaelic League branches of Dublin do if they found themselves in the company of these men, toiling, drinking, whoring? They lived everywhere and anywhere they could find a ready-made lodging or room. They didn't remember the glories of Brian Baru, the brave, beyond him as an old king of Ireland in God's time they knew nothing and they cared less their life was a hurried farewell to the news of the world on Sunday morning and a dash to what was called short mass in the pro-cathedral the shortest mass in the land and then a slow parade to the various pubs it's not just absolutely brilliant I, a great I paid to hear you read that <laughs> honestly God I was like you get audible on the phone this I want to do an audio book of Sean O'Casey's yeah. trip and memoirs but yeah look I mean, it's a great description of life routines yeah. work well toiling, drinking and whoring oh, yeah, he's, he's, everyone's he's, Tuesday he's <laughs> the master of just capturing Everyday life, yeah. you know, no one could do it uh, quite like him. I, I'm not joking. I, I'd pay for an audiobook of you doing that. <laughs> um, he came to public attention first uh, in in some fairly strange times, but he rises to prominence in the backdrop of the Civil War. It's amazing when the, when these plays are first performed. Shadow of a Gunman, uh, literally performed in the Shadow of a Gunman, 1923, <laughs> and and the IRA had had tried to impose a ludicrous ban on public amusements. So you know, the Civil War was drifting on. The IRA were losing the war. They knew it. Yeah, uh, and they, and were they kind needed of, to stop people having yeah, fun. Keep cinemas 
cinemas closed, keep theatres closed, stop sporting events. I mean, they wanted to impose their will, if you will, on, on, on the people. Oh, and, yeah. this is, sorry, this is a real tangent now, but I've always wondered, if you go back and look at like old GAA records from this time a century ago, and you're like, why did the 1922 All-Ireland Final not take place until springtime of 1924? <laughs> it's, this is probably it's not why. a normal society. Yeah, because the IRA <laughs> like you're not having fun and Lady Gregory in her, in her diary she's a great account of it she says I showed up at the Abbey I found an armed guard there had been one ever since the theatres were threatened if they kept open in the green room I found a soldier giving finishing touches to the costume of Tony Quinn a black and tan in the play and showing him how to hold his revolver I mean this isn't normal times this is a very very obscure uh, sorry a very very obscene time in Irish life especially mm. for, for the arts but it was a great success and, and, and the way Yates described that play he said you know O'Casey is bad in writing the vices of the rich which he knows nothing about, but he thoroughly understands the vices of the, of the poor. And Gregory nailed it. She said, this is one of the evenings at the Abbey that makes me glad to have been born. So this guy, this labourer, comes out of nowhere, really. And this, mm. this play in 1923, against the backdrop of the Civil War, is a great success. Uh, we must get you to do an item some other time about the IRA basically uh, banning fun. Like, what kind of like <laughs> Taliban stuff is that, where basically you're not allowed to enjoy yourself? You're not allowed to go to the cinema. <laughs> it's just it's an, a very interesting tactic at the time, but, but that's, that's uh, Shinsuke Alela. Um, it's fair to say that a lot of us w- will have known those works, Shadow of a Gunman, Juno and the Paycock, whether we wanted to know them or not yeah. because he's still a staple of the Leaving Cert curriculum yeah it's likely everyone listening to this has had some engagement with the work of O'Casey for me it was the plow on the stars on, on okay. the Leaving Cert was it on your Leaving Cert no it wasn't I no, loved no, it mine, I mine mean, was pretty loaded with Shakespeare yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a work it's set against the backdrop of the 1916 Rising great controversy because they kind of mini riot in the Abbey when it was performed in 1926 uh, and normally you know we associate censorship and, and people rioting in a theatre kind of with like religious Puritans or something yeah. but actually it was, it was pretty much liberal opinion people like Hannah Sheehy Skeffington were angry at how they felt this play was you know, portraying the men of Easter week and there's a great moment in it there's a, a character Rosie Redmond she's a prostitute she's in a pub uh, there's a tricolour in the pub I mean the idea of a tricolour in a public house mm. was shocking to some people and she's kind of questioning the rising and the point of it all and I'll never forget it in school but she has this great line where she's talking about what they're fighting for and she says the freedom those fellas are fighting for is freedom not worth winning in a raffle <laughs> wow. and that was kind of O'Casey's view in some ways yeah. of, of, of the Easter rising so yeah many people will have the likes of the plough and the stars Running, running through their mind and those leaving certain memories. Yeah. Um, so those who, who went to see it at the time and it might not have gone down too well in Dublin when it was being uh, first performed possibly because the, the Civil War was so raw I guess. Internationally though it was loved including yeah. as we mentioned by, by Alfred Hitchcock. And in the, in the very early days of Irish cinema, I mean, many of the great talents on screen were former or, or were still performing Abbey actors. Like the Abbey yeah. became the first generation of, of Irish cinema stars. One of them went on to win an Academy Award, Barry Fitzgerald, what a legend. Uh, but there were others as well. It said that Barry Fitzgerald took the head off his Oscar with a, with a, with a golf club. Because, you know, during the Second, <laughs> Second World War, they changed the materials that they were making the Academy Awards with. Okay. Because of shortages. Right. And uh, they say that they said that Barry Fitzgerald took the head off his Academy Award with a golf club. But when, <laughs> when John Ford kind of fell in love with Ireland later on, I mean, look at the, 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 the quiet man. They're all yeah, happy actors yeah, yeah. as well. But yeah, 1930, Alfred Hitchcock tries his hand at Juno and the Paycock. And it was a, yeah, it was a tough one. You know, it's yeah. set in the tenements of Dublin. Kind of curious choice uh, for the director. Very much so. But then I suppose if you try and zoom out and look at it in context, Hitchcock then wasn't the Hitchcock who was so sort of celebrated and successful as he became that the, the medium was changing and he was doing his best to try and just keep up with the times. Everyone has a favourite Hitchcock movie. I think Psycho is a masterpiece. But, you know, he was in a, a weird moment. He'd come through the silent movie age. You know, he didn't really know where he was going. And when you hear him describing the O'Casey movie, he kind of felt himself it didn't quite land. Mm. Uh, let's have a listen. Was made with Irish players. I remember again by this time 
moment-là, je ressentais les, les coups, uh, j'éprouvais le besoin after the blackmail picture, après le film de Blackmail de contribuer in terms of pure motion picture form. Euh, dans le cinéma pur, dans la forme du cinéma pur. Even though it was talk. Bien que c'était sonore. Et je me rappelle que j'avais cette pièce irlandaise. Juno and the Pickup. And going over it again and again. Et le parcourant. Seeing whether I could retell it. Euh, le parcours pour voir si je pouvais le raconter, le raconter en forme cinématographique. Mais je n'ai pas pu le faire. C'était une pièce qui se déroulait dans une seule pièce. Bad experience. <laughs> wow. Um, that interview, by the way, obviously you can hear it being being live uh, interpreted into French. That interview, um, the translator's working really hard. Yeah. That's not an interview for, for recording. That's an interview for a book. For a book. And it, it's kind of jarring, isn't it? It's, it's nearly like there's several conversations happening at once. Mm. What, what a great accent. The yeah. Irish play. Yeah. And yeah, look, he was the, the still emerging world of cinema, you know, was, was often looking to the stage. People didn't really know what to make of the talkies it was all brand yeah. new and the idea they could just lift the play and put it on screen but yeah Hitchcock came to learn that that translation wasn't always easy uh, to put it late in the whole conversation we, we've been talking a lot in the last couple of years on this item about the decade of centenaries we've been talking about things that were all happening a century ago in a way actually th- these plays and the performance of these plays it's almost putting a lid on the decade <laughs> of centenaries yeah we've made it to the end you know and, yeah. and, and congratulations <laughs> it, to many people historians yeah. up and down the country it's but also slog. Michael D Higgins you know the president did a great job through this decade of centenaries and uh, both Michael D and, and Sabina are real champions of, of, of Sean O'Casey and his work but ultimately you know, O'Casey lived a kind of strange life I mean he wrote these iconic Dublin plays but then he left Dublin you know he spent most of his life in Devon uh, and I love how a, a young Brendan Behan very downbeat summed up Irish literature he said Joyce is dead and O'Casey's in Devon you know there was nothing left <laughs> okay. to do no one left so yeah. he died in this kind of self-imposed exile and was kind of shunned at home I mean I think it was viewed as quite anti-clerical I think some people viewed him as quite anti, anti-nationalist which I don't think it's quite fair either but look I mean these three iconic plays on the one day in the theatre that made O'Casey mm. it's, a, it's a brilliant and novel idea from, from Druid and best of luck to them uh, Absolutely and, and some tickets no doubt still available if you go to the Abbey Theatre's website you can find some details Bring of a that. packed lunch <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or, or visit the hostelries nearby in, in the style of Brendan Bean or Sean O'Casey uh, Donald Fallon is the author of uh, Three Castles Burning A History of Dublin at 12th Street which was the Easton's Book of the Year last year his next book about the lamplighters of the Phoenix Park is coming out in a few weeks we'll get him to talk more about that soon he's also the presenter of the Three Castle's Burning Podcast about the history of Dublin which you'll find anywhere you get your audio online. That's all the time we have on today's programme. A big thank you to the production team led today by Alex Rousseau. We are back next Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. Until then, from me, Gavin Riley, and all the team. Thanks for listening. On the Record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Transformation always disrupts but it doesn't always need to be disruptive. On News Talk.